There are many ways people listen to vision, including through a PC at work. When you fire up your computer at work, go to vision.org.au slash listen and click the Vision or V180 Listen Live buttons. You can also catch the latest Vision National News Bulletin and enjoy a growing range of on-demand podcasts from the same page all while you work. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Dr. Kevin Donnelly, you'll know his name. Uh, He's a staunch defender of the strengths and benefits of Western civilization and our Judeo-Christian heritage. He's one of Australia's leading conservative commentators and authors. He is director of the Education Standards Institute, and he's joining us through this next hour. So if you're able to participate in our conversation, I invite you to do so, even if you have a contrary opinion, at 1-800-316-316, or leave a note on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Dr. Kevin Donnelly, a special welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. Kevin, congratulations on the new book. And uh, there's been many books uh, that you've launched now over the years. This latest one, though, uh, a special launch in Sydney this week. How'd you go with the launch? It was uh, a very good launch, very successful. Uh, Tony Abbott uh, was there to help, uh, along with... uh, Alan Jones, who, as you know, is on 2GB. So uh, there were two very good uh, public figures there who gave the book uh, 10 out of 10. So I was very happy to have them, and it received a lot of media coverage in the print and digital media because I think the pendulum has started to swing the other way. People I talk to, uh, whether it's uh, at, at the market or on the train or... Even uh, people I meet in my professional life, people are starting to be very worried about political correctness, this cultural left idea, which is really, as I explain in the book, not only destroying education, but also it's a very secular Marxist inspired agenda, which is all about banishing uh, Christianity from the public square. Now, we'll get a focus on education, but also listeners, especially those listeners in Victoria, will have one eye on what's happening this weekend, a Victorian state election. And when you're talking about political correctness, perhaps there is no bigger exponent of a PC attitude than Premier Daniel Andrews in Victoria. Now, I wonder whether uh, you can comment on, and let me just say for listeners, you are a Victorian, you live in Melbourne, and no doubt the fishbowl that you're in is all about what happens in Victoria as well. Uh, Give us a little impression as to how you think the Victorian education system has been significantly affected by political correctness. I taught for 18 years in Victoria, and I was on the board of studies here and helped uh, set and mark the Year 12 English examination. So I have an intimate knowledge of what's happening in Victoria, especially after I reviewed the national curriculum four years ago, where I could compare what was happening in Victoria to the other states and territories. The current Premier, Daniel Andrews, is part of the socialist left faction of the Australian Labor Party, like Joan Kerner was a Premier some years ago. 
And when Joan Kerner was Premier, she was uh, Education Minister before that, she argued at a Fabian meeting in Melbourne that education had to be used uh, to overthrow capitalism to make Victoria a socialist state. And Daniel Andrews is also uh, very, very similar in his outlook. He's very ideological, very cultural left, as I call it. He's banished uh, teaching religious instruction out of the school day, put it before and after school uh, instead of being on the school curriculum. He's mandated the gender fluidity program, Safe Schools, which even the woman responsible for designing it, Ros Ward, she argues it's not about bullying. It's about this radical gender theory where even primary children, if they self-identify as the opposite sex, if a boy wants to be a girl or a girl wants to be a boy, they can do that. And uh, this program will be going into all government schools next year. Uh, the curriculum is very secular, as I said. There's minimal coverage of Christianity. Uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of references to indigenous history, culture, spirituality, but almost nothing over prep to year 10, almost nothing about Christianity and how it underpins our Western way of life. Now, Kevin, when you say left socialist and alignment with Marxist, and we would understand historically that Marxism has been the foundation of so many communist dictatorships, uh, it's the idea that God is left out of thinking, left out of the way that political policy is formed. So you're saying that very openly here, in the even in the mould of Joan Kerner, that that uh, the Premier Daniel Andrews in Victoria really is of that same mould, a left socialist position, leaves God out of the thinking. And that takes uh, that takes a state, it takes political policy off on a whole different direction uh, than if you were to include God in the thinking. How do you describe just the way that works for listeners who might be saying this is all very confusing? Well, you, you mention... Uh communism or Marxism, if we go back in history, obviously the Russian Revolution, where Lenin uh, was in charge, then Stalin. Uh, communism spread around the world to communist China under Mao, Pol Pot in Cambodia, Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam, uh, Castro in Cuba. Wherever you had communism, which was inspired by the Communist Manifesto, by Marx and Engels, it became a totalitarian regime, very dictatorial, where millions and millions of people died or were tortured or were put in jail. And they banished religion, they banished Christianity, because obviously if you're a Christian, especially if you follow the New Testament, then God's word is about love thy neighbour as thyself, turn the other cheek. If you look at uh, Christian teaching, it underpins our legal and our political system. And it's the opposite, if you like, to communism. Now, I'm not saying that uh, Premier Andrews is a communist in that literal sense. But what I do argue is he's very secular, very cultural left. He wants to reduce uh, the place of Christianity in the curriculum 
in the school day, as I said, everybody uh, in Victoria is being asked in school to study Indigenous history, spirituality, but there's nothing really there about Christianity, nothing about uh, the parables or about how Christianity underpins, as I said, our political system. I mean, our parliaments begin with the Lord's Prayer and the preamble to the Constitution talks about humbly relying on God. So the reality is we are a Christian nation, uh, even though there is separation between church and state. But what people like Premier Andrews want to do, and the ALP more broadly around Australia, and certainly the Greens Party, what they want to do is to banish Christianity, to ignore it, to say it has no role or no place, and they're denying generations of young people any understanding of why Christianity is so important. And one of the consequences, no doubt, and I'll get your reflection here, Kevin, is that it's not just about the education system and how that leads on a different trajectory and how God might be treated as a fairy tale and how uh, the secular ideal is promoted to be the way that we plan our own future, but this has also a consequence for law and uh, the rule of law, because when we talk about a Judeo-Christian heritage, and as you reflect on our constitution, uh, the idea that Australia is constitutionally founded on the idea that there is uh, a reflection on a rule of law. We're seeing some ways that that rule of law is even being flouted, aren't we? Even with the Red Shirts uh, Rorts Affair. Uh, what are your thoughts on if you continue on this pathway, uh, everything changes, including the way that we look at our legal system? That's correct. And uh, I grew up in Broadmeadows in Melbourne, uh, Housing Commission Estate. Uh, Dad was in the Communist Party, actually. Wow. And mum was a good Catholic, so it was Mass on Sunday, uh, Marx and Engels, uh, Stalin on Tuesday. But one of the things uh, my mother taught me as a young boy was that the Word of God does help in deciding what is right and what is wrong. I mean, Christianity is inherently moral, and I just don't mean the Ten Commandments. I also mean what the Word of Jesus tells us in the New Testament. So if you are a Christian, you're deeply grounded in a very strong, positive, beneficial moral code, and that informs our law and our political system. Communism, on the other hand, or what I call the cultural left theory, which is all pervasive now in our schools and universities, does not have that moral framework. So that's why, for example, in Tasmania, they can legislate to say a boy can self-identify as a girl, a girl as a boy, uh, this whole move toward gender fluidity, the whole move to say on your birth certificate now, you don't have to say whether you're male or female. I mean, last year, the whole debate about same-sex marriage, where Archbishop Porteous in Tasmania, because he argued that the uh, Catholic bishops book uh, about marriage that that should be distributed to schools he was threatened with being taken before the uh, human rights commission uh, i mean it's all pervasive and that's the danger because they are very different uh, belief systems as i said christianity has a strong sense of morality 
love thy neighbour as thyself. Communism, on the other hand, does not have that moral framework. Kevin, this idea of political correctness, it does follow on from that word progressive and the left side of politics calls itself a progressive side and in doing so they do cast a slur on the conservative side as though the conservative side is living in the past, some sort of archaic way of thinking that wants to take people back to pre-civilization. Reflect a little on just how significant uh, it is and uh, of course even when it comes to education uh, the idea of the fact that both sides want to look forward uh, uh, there is a different way of looking though at the contributions of the past uh, I taught literature for many years and T.S. Eliot obviously an English poet one of our most famous he argues for what he calls continuity as well as change that you need the balance between the past, the present, and the future. And what worries me, uh, and I used to teach George Orwell, 1984, but also Aldous Huxley, Brave New World. And when I looked at history as well, one of the things totalitarian regimes do is they take control of the past and they reshape it how they, in, in terms of their ideology, so there's a very real danger if young people in schools and universities do not have a good understanding of the past. If it's all about the future, if it's all about this cultural left ideology, then they're not critically minded, they're not independent thinkers. And that is one way that the cultural left takes control, by taking control of the past. Now, the irony is, of course, that at the same time the cultural left and I saw this in the national curriculum, they airbrushed Judeo-Christianity from our literature, from our music, from our history, from Western culture. At the same time, they argued, we have to look at indigenous history, indigenous culture, and there are many, many references to the past with indigenous culture, and they want to conserve it, they want to celebrate it. So I always find it ironic that the progressive, the cultural left, at the same time they argue people like me are wrong to look at the past. They argue with Aborigines and Torres Strait Islanders that we should celebrate and acknowledge their past, pre-European settlement. Okay, we've been, in some sense, getting a focus on labour, their values, uh, Daniel Andrews and his position there in the socialist left. Let me ask you, with the Victorian election coming up just two days away on Saturday, the remainder of those who haven't already cast a pre-poll vote are going to the polls. Let me ask you about Matthew Guy and the Liberals and what you think of their policies when it comes to these issues of education because uh, there's an awful lot of people who are saying that the potential Guy Premiership uh, may not even be a whole lot different. Uh, Victoria is a different set of politics to what the rest of Australia understands. What are your thoughts about Matthew Guy? If I just be, before I do that, uh, and if you uh, were in Victoria, you would have read the Herald Sun today. Their uh, their front page and their comment page. When I talk about Christianity being uh, founded on a very strong moral code, the fact is that the ALP, Daniel Andrews, has proven 
that he's more Machiavellian. He's more interested in power for power's sake. And we had an example here with the red shirts, what they call the red shirts, where at the last election there was a corrupt, illegal, some people are arguing, system whereby ALP volunteers were paid by the taxpayer to campaign for the Labor Party. Now, that was taken to the Ombudsman in Victoria. She said it was unethical, immoral. The police are now investigating it as well. So that's, one, that's a good example of what happens to a politician who doesn't have a strong moral sense, a strong sense of Christian values, because what they then do is to say, well, power for power's sake, we can be Machiavellian, we can do anything we can uh, to get power as long as we're not caught. So I think that's something people should realise. And is there a contrast there to Matthew Guy and the Liberals? There is uh, certainly an education. Earlier this year, uh, Matthew Guy and Tim Smith, the shadow education spokesman, they released a very good curriculum document, uh, a statement of values in education. And if you read through that, It's actually the opposite of what the ALP want, what the Labor Party wants, because it does recognise our Western cultural heritage. It says all students, government, non-government, must be taught about what makes Australian culture unique, about our history, our political, our legal systems, about the art, literature, music. And it does go back to... Uh, not just Europe and the United Kingdom, but earlier to the Renaissance, the Reformation, the Enlightenment, back to ancient Greece. So there's a stronger sense in the liberal education policy about teaching that grand narrative associated with where we've come from, how we've arrived where we are today. And also they are not going to fund the Safe Schools Program, which is all about gender fluidity. So again, that's another very strong difference. What the Matthew Guy government will do if they're elected is to get rid of that gender program and to introduce a more general anti-bullying program based on good research, looking at a range of issues that many young people face. And it's not about indoctrination, about gender indoctrination. It's actually something that many parents will agree with because I've always argued education should take note of parents being their children's first teachers and schools should not work actively against the home background in terms of what parents see as valuable and important Uh, concerning their beliefs. Kevin, let's talk a little here about standards for a few moments because standards have been decaying and I guess there's a question that people will have about how you restore standards and what sort of of foundation you would put those standards on. How do you feel about the idea of standards in education? There's no doubt uh, in Australia... uh, whatever the state or territory, that standard academic standards, whether it's at year 12 or in primary school with uh, literacy, numeracy, uh, what we used to call uh, reading, writing, arithmetic, standards are going backwards as measured by international tests where Australia, along with, say, 40 or 50 other countries, 
there are uh, tests every four years, and we're going down in terms of standards compared to many other countries, like well, like Asia, Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, Japan, but also New Zealand. Now, Singapore, I mentioned Finland, uh, even uh, many of the states in America. Our standards are deteriorating. And uh, when I did the national curriculum review four years ago, that was an issue we had to address because people say, and politicians often get uh, tricked or fooled into this, people say all you need is more money. So the Australian Education Union, for example, it always says we must spend more, we must invest more. But the reality is over the last 20 years, We've invested in, in an incredible amount of money in education, some billions and billions of dollars, and it has not uh, really helped in terms of improving standards. Now, when I looked overseas, it's obvious to me that we need to have a more rigorous, academically-based curriculum. So we need to look at what teachers, the roadmap, if you like, that teachers are given in mathematics or science or English or music. We need to have a more rigorous, academically-based curriculum. We need to focus on what's essential. I mean, we have a very crowded curriculum at the moment where teachers are being asked to do everything that parents used to do, stranger danger, obesity, water safety, bulkhead, road safety. I mean, it goes on and on. Resilience, wellness. There's a lot there that parents should be doing and because teachers are being asked to do it, they have a very superficial curriculum. And the other thing, importantly, we should look at what I call pedagogy, what actually happens in the classroom in terms of teaching practice. In Australia, we have all of these fads like open classrooms. Uh, we, we've moved away from testing. We don't fail students because it's bad for their self-esteem. They might be hurt, apparently. Uh, so teachers, instead of teaching, as I did when I was a teacher, they're now called facilitators or guides by the side. And often you go into a primary classroom and you'll see children sitting on the floor with their iPads or their computers going on the internet. And I'll say to the teacher, what are they doing? Why aren't they learning? And they'll look at me, he or she will look at me and say, but they're digital natives now. Yes. Children are digital natives. And the best way to learn is to get into 21st century technology. Now, again, all the research overseas proves the opposite. Yes, and we'll continue this conversation and talk about uh, these ideas, digital natives, uh, dumbing down of education. Uh, just a couple of minutes out from news, let's take a call. Erica is on the line from Queensland. Hello, Erica. Welcome along. Short question, um, I was a teacher in Victoria and my kids went to school in Victoria, I have now grandchildren. How did this turnaround happen? <laughs> okay, I need a quick response here, but uh, Kevin, how did we get to this place? Well, I, I, I have written a book, Dumb and Down, which is available on the internet, uh, it, it's uh, digital where I explain the history of this, just very quickly, during the late 60s, in England, America, in, uh, Australia, New Zealand, 
there, there was what they called the Cultural Revolution. And so it was very progressive, Vietnam moratoriums, anti-war, Germaine Greer, the female eunuch, uh, make love, not war. It was a time of great social, cultural upheaval. And in education, that's where it started. So the argument was you moved away from the more traditional approach to teaching to this progressive idea. You moved away from uh, knowledge being valuable in itself to using knowledge and schools as an ideological weapon to radically change society. So if you like, the way to think about it is that the cultural left took the long march through the institutions, including education, to take control, and that's what they've done. Thank you so much to Erica from Queensland. Kevin Donnelly, just before the news, you were talking about the idea of digital natives, kids at school playing in the corner on their iPad and teachers being facilitators of education rather than actual educators. You've been renowned. You've written books about the dumbing down of our education system. Let me ask you, as we get this part of our conversation underway, are we pretending somehow that our kids are getting smarter in this day and age? One of the problems in Australia, in, in schools around the nation, is that the first time students actually have a, a competitive examination is at year 12. Uh, so many young kids will go through primary school, secondary school, without a very, uh, what I say is a fair income idea of testing or assessment. And the danger there is that students will float through school going from year to year because we got rid of year-level testing in uh, some years ago now. When I went to school, for example, there was a test at uh, what we called the proficiency, then intermediate, then leaving, then matriculation. We got rid of all of that except for year 12. And so part of the problem we have is that we're not testing enough and I don't just mean what they call NAPLAN, which is the literacy numeracy test at year three, five, seven, and nine. Actually, that is not a real examination, as I'd call it. It's more just a, an intelligence test. So part of the issue here is that we're not fed income about how we grade and assess and test our students. So a lot of them get to year 12 or go on to university or college or an apprenticeship or a job and often they've got a very uh, inflated idea of their own ability. Uh, in some schools I've read, they'll never fail anyone because, again, that's uh, not the progressive way. And all you have to do to be, you know, as a parent or a grandparent is to go to a, uh, you know, end of, end of the year, go to a school speech night. And there are a lot of schools now where every student will get a prize. Now, Kevin, when we talk about the idea of uh, setting kids competitively against one another, which is what you're suggesting, some parents will be thinking, but, you know, why should those kids who are not making the grade, uh, who don't have that intellectual uh, 
extra capacity to be able to meet those grades and it doesn't mean that they're any less of a person but uh, why should we offend them in some way because uh, they've been compared with those students who do have a natural intellectual ability uh, what are we talking about here because uh, because some people will be concerned about that idea and and thinking that the progressive way is in fact a good way because kids won't be offended but what does that say about the school system what does it say about our education if we're afraid that some children will be found to be lacking a little i mean i take the point and i'm not saying you uh give children an inferiority complex and you denigrate them uh by doing this i mean firstly children each child generally they have different abilities different interests different uh uh school destinations if you like i mean i don't believe everybody should go to university i believe that uh you know, many kids should do an apprenticeship or do a trade, uh, do something a bit more physically manual. Some students are very good at music or art, uh, can be very creative and innovative. When I was at school, I actually failed languages at year 10 and mathematics at year 11. Now, I took that, uh, I wasn't upset because I knew I was also very good at literature and English and music and phys ed and so I tended to concentrate then on those areas where I was the strongest and where I frankly got most satisfaction so we have to understand that not all students are the same and uh, at the same time we have to understand we can't wrap children in cotton wool as they say we can't pretend to children that they're as good as everyone else I mean, you can go to any classroom in Australia and you can ask the kids, who are the brightest ones? Who are the strongest performers? Who are the ones who always do well in the test? And kids will be able to tell you pretty quickly. So I think it's a matter of, it's a balance there. So if we don't tell children the truth, we're actually doing damage to their development toward maturity and this issue of whether we're raising children through our education system who will have a level of resilience to be able to endure through the battles that will come. What are your thoughts on children perhaps not being as resilient as they're coming out of school these days? When you look at uh, the current situation uh, around our, our, our classrooms around the nation, there's been a great increase in students with uh, cyberbullying, for example, or sexting. Now, the impact of technology there has been uh, very uh, adverse. But also there's a, a, a tremendous increase in terms of mental issues where students are anxious or they doubt their ability, uh, they're not as resilient or confident. Now, I'd argue that gets back to not just what happens when they have to do a test, but also when I was a young boy, there were parables in, in the New Testament, in the Bible, and I, I got a strong sense that as a Christian, there would be challenges, there would be obstacles, there would be times when life was difficult, whether it was, you know, somebody being uh, ill or crook, somebody dying, or, you know, you're, you're being bullied. I mean, you only have to look at the stations of the cross to realise how Jesus suffered uh, to save us and to understand that part of life 
is pain or loss or suffering. But because of my mother, I was also taught that as a Christian, you could believe in redemption and overcoming and being uh, successful. So I think that's a very important lesson. And also as a literature teacher, what I used to do as a young boy was to read the Iliad, the Odyssey, fables, myths, Greek legends. uh, And you got a very strong sense that there was adversity There were difficulties, but if you had courage and conviction and faith, if you had a strong spiritual sense, then you could overcome them. Well, I think listeners will be very encouraged to hear you reflecting on that because those Bible stories that we hear in our churches, that our children are being taught in their children's church experience, that they actually do, in fact, contribute to a level of resilience and the idea of overcoming adversity. And these things are so, so important to us. Let's take another call. Chris is on the line from Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Uh, good day, Neil, and uh, uh, guest. Um, yeah, I just want to say before Victorians vote for the, uh, and consider Daniel Andrews, they should consider whether they want to vote for the, the debt Santa or, or sulphur clause. Uh, the debt Santa, because I think people will be paying off all this debt for generations to come, and sulphur clause, well, uh, that speaks for itself. You know, the evil things of social engineering and safe schools, you know, subtitled Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, the, the, call, the, the speaker mentioned before about you know the moral compass. Well, it seems to be pointing downwards to the sulphur kingdom. And what he's really offering is like what Satan did to Jesus. He took him up at the mountaintop, showed him the kingdoms of this world, and said, "You can have it all as long as you bow down, bow down to me." Uh, just one thing I want to mention about communism and all these other isms is they want to destroy a person's faith in a God and destroy the family. The leader of the Communist Party becomes your God, and, and, you know, the party becomes your mother and father. Everyone's an individual. The party looks after you, and it, it, that's what, you know, if Satan had his own Ten Commandments, that'd be one and two, I, I reckon. Chris, good insights there, and I wonder whether we can ask Kevin Donnelly to pick up on something that you mentioned, Chris, in your observation of what's going on in your home state, and this idea of social engineering, and I guess we're talking about that in the context of education broadly here, but there's a very bigger, wider scope of what seems to be happening in a social engineering sense. Kevin Donnelly, your thoughts and response for Chris? No, that was a very good point made. And, uh, I mean, I'll begin by, I mentioned uh, George Orwell, 1984. I mean, the the listener there is dead right. What happens is Big Brother replaces God. Uh, individuals no longer have free will or a conscience. They're controlled by Big Brother, by the state. And you only have to look at uh, communist dictators like Pol Pot or Ho Chi Minh or Stalin to see that was exactly what happens. Now, it's obviously not as bad as that in Australia, thank goodness, because we are a Western liberal democracy and we still have a strong Christian underpinning in terms of our legal political systems. But in Victoria, there is a real danger. Uh, We used to be known as the Albania of the South because the socialist left is very powerful in Victoria. You only have to look, uh, as frankly has happened elsewhere, what's happened with euthanasia, uh, gender fluidity, 
uh, late-term abortions. I mean, it is a sorry tale where the state now is imposing, uh, taking away religious freedom, that, that freedom of conscience. And so teachers or doctors who have a conviction because of their belief in, in the New Testament, they're in danger of being reprimanded or being fined or in some cases losing their job because of this social engineering, which is secular and uh, doesn't have any commitment to the morality and the beliefs that, that Christians have. Thank you so much to Chris from Victoria. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. There'll still be time for another call. You might have a comment to make on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Kevin, let me just lead you to another aspect of education and one we don't often get to talk about. Uh, the idea that while in Victoria you've had religious instruction taken out of school time, uh, it can still happen in lunch times or after school or preschool, but there is a sense, isn't there, that in a, a country like Australia that has these foundations, a Judeo-Christian foundation, we used to have the idea of prayer in the classroom or some level of devotion or religious instruction, but there's a movement that is somehow rather meditation-oriented, but it's not Christian meditation anymore. This would be one of the biggest concerns that so many of our listeners today would be thinking about. How do you describe the spirituality change in the classroom? It's a, it's a, it's a complex issue. Uh, I mean, I would argue, in fact, even in things like music or art or literature, if they're taught properly, there is a strong sense of uh, the transcendent, the spiritual, poetry in particular. A lot of that has been uh, thrown out the window, if you like, so because of uh, this social engineering, this secular agenda, what I call the cultural left, literature now or music, it's often deconstructed or taken apart in terms of power relationships. So it gets back to this idea that, uh, that Western society is corrupt or inequitable or unfair. And you've lost that belief in being grounded in something more transcendent, something more spiritual, something more moral in literature, in art, in music. Now, I'm not saying we go back to the oath of allegiance, but when I went to school, every Monday you actually put your hand on your heart at assembly and you talked about loving God and your country, honouring the flag, faithfully serving your parents, teachers and the laws. So... The, even the government schools, they are secular in nature. There was a strong sense there of a common culture, which was in, in a very large way based on Christianity. And we've now lost that. And, and that is something that has been a conscious decision by those in power who, as they're being influenced by the cultural left, believe that Christianity should be banished from the public square and airbrushed from history. Well, I know that Victorian listeners in particular will be disturbed to hear you say that in Victoria it has been lost. 
And I know that there'll be some who will be thinking, is there a glimmer of hope in Matthew Guy? And I know that he somehow sheepishly uh, almost tried to go under the radar, but with the thought of bringing R.I. back into the curriculum, into the classroom, uh, he did make that promise. Is there a glimmer of hope for Victorians if they look to Matthew Guy in this sense? That would be my preference. And I mean, I have to admit, I, I am somebody who votes liberal. So that's my opinion. I don't believe I should force that on anyone else. But when you look at the policies, the Liberal Party, Matthew Guy, has made that commitment to get rid of the gender fluidity program, which I think is very destructive. Most parents do. And he has said he would put uh, religious instruction back in the school day. Also, he is uh, somebody who supports school chaplains, most of whom are of the Christian faith. So I, if I was living in Victoria, I'd be making that choice uh, with, a, with an open conscience. Uh, and so in that sense, uh, I think it's going to be a very interesting election, even though I think nearly half the population has voted who are eligible. I think these issues around safe schools, around religious freedom, the other issue here we haven't really discussed is that the Labor Party and the Greens want to abolish the right Christian schools and organisations, whether they're hospitals or whatever, the right they currently have to employ staff, to enrol students, to manage their affairs according to their faith. What the Labor Party and the Greens Party want to do in Victoria, but also nationally, is to remove that ability to discriminate and to destroy religious freedom. Let's take one more call. Alison is on the line from northern New South Wales. Hello, Alison. Welcome along. What are your thoughts? Oh, hi, Neil and Kevin. Um, I'm working in northern New South Wales as a casual teacher, and I actually started my career in Victoria. Um, what really concerns me about changes in the education system is the lack of respect for teachers, especially me as a casual teacher. And I was just wondering if Kevin sees this as being linked to the post-constructionist models that have been followed not only in, um, in the curriculum but also in attitudes to discipline and children's um, and students' responses uh, in regards to their behaviour towards teachers. Uh, the change has been remarkable since I started teaching 40 years ago that I will always go into a school now and be respect disrespected. And, uh, you know, in the Bible, it gives us boundaries. It, it tells us who we are as human beings and as potential followers of, and lovers of God, and it gives us boundaries. And wherever humanity stepped over those boundaries in the biblical story, there was there were, were real problems, including destruction of whole civilizations. Alison, there is so much to follow through, and we've only got a couple of minutes left in our conversation. Need a very quick response, but it's such an important issue, Kevin. It's a vital issue, and thank you, Alison, for phoning in. It is a significant issue. Uh, when you look at the OECD, all the overseas countries, Australian classrooms are among the most disruptive with badly behaved students. So it's the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. But you're correct. Students, many of them, and I think this begins in the home, frankly, parents have a lot to answer for here. Parents should teach their children to respect adults 
to respect authority, to uh, be aware of their obligations to others. And as a young boy being raised as a Christian, that was something my mother told me every week. Because if you are aware of, of the New Testament in particular, you as a child are responsible for your actions and you know you will have a significant impact on others. And as a child, you should respect authority because we're in school, children are in school to learn and it's not just a matter of children uh, thinking, I'm the centre of the universe, I know everything, I don't have to pay attention. So we need to get back to that sense of teachers being authority figures, parents taking greater control, and students having a bit more humility and a willingness not to be driven by their own ego. Alison from Northern New South Wales, thank you so much. An important contribution to our conversation and time has run out. But let me conclude with a Facebook comment that came from Eileen who says, Thank you for talking about this. I want to know how those like myself who agree with you can help even my family members see what is happening. Most of them don't want to talk about it. They just say things have changed. And yes, they think I am a dinosaur. Well, I just want to encourage Eileen that this conversation will be on a podcast later this afternoon on vision.org.au, the 2020 page. And you'll be able to use the link for that and perhaps even send it to friends. You never know who might listen in. Uh, Kevin Donnelly, uh, I just appreciate your wisdom. Every time we do talk, I get blown away by the way you have uh, a tremendous capacity to clearly uh, state uh, those wonderful things that are foundational to our Christian faith and uh, to be able to interpret those things that are happening around us. And thank you so much for your thoughts on the state election that's coming up on Saturday, for your thoughts around education. I want to point people to the new book. It's called How People is destroying education. Uh, you'll be able to get it. Uh, simply Google that online. And uh, there is a website, Education Standards. It's edstandards.com. Uh, is there another website, uh, Kevin, that uh, that I've missed here? But edstandards.com is yeah, your... Yeah, that is one's your... Uh, out of date now, Neil. Okay, right. What I will do, if I can, please, is send you a link to Wilkinson Publishing, where the book can be... Uh, bought if if your listeners uh, would like that and uh, the easiest way would be for me to send that to you as a link and if you're able if you want you can put that up on on your uh, radio station's right. webpage we'll endeavor to do that uh, but wilkinson publishing uh, people might be able to even google that and uh, they'll find your book there as well they'll find the book very easily if they just google donnelly wilkinson publishing Kevin Donnelly, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. My pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.